Grab your coffee and water and journal and pen and find a seat. If you guys need a journal, we'll have it. We have some extra on the J-Rock if you need one. There should be pens there too. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open with me to the book of 1 Timothy. That's our study right now is the book of 1 Timothy. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 8, all right? And if you're really fancy and are using your phone, you could open up to the uh, English Standard Version, and that's the version we chose today. A lot of times we preach from the NIV, sometimes the ESV. It's usually bounced between those two. Today we picked the ESV um, to preach through this. Um, but yes, baptisms are good, Amen. I was asking, praying the other day and just asking God, like, what would it look like if we had a baptism like every Sunday all year long? And I sort of think that's what the early church had, right? They were seeing people come to Jesus all the time. And I, and I really kind of felt like, I mean, I never, I never hear the voice of the Lord, but I kind of felt in my spirit the Lord being like, well, what would it take for J-Road to do to see a baptism every day? Where would we have to be? Where are the places, like, who do we need to be hanging out with? Who do we need to be sharing Jesus with to see a baptism every single week of the year? Um, and so these are the things I think about. Um, that's why we don't have necessarily baptism Sundays unless, like, five people come to us at once and we'll say, hey, we'll just do it all on this Sunday. But the way we see in the Bible is anytime somebody says, is a believer, we'll, we baptize them. And so we, we usually talk to them first. We have a conversation to make sure they understand what they're doing, making sure that baptism, the event of baptism doesn't save them, but their faith in Jesus is what saves them. The baptism is just a, uh, a statement in front of the church um, to identify with him. So um, those are the things I think about. But let's move on. Um, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We are studying the book of Timothy. I think this is our fourth week. So we're going to try to go through every verse of the book of 1 Timothy. And as we said before, 1 Timothy is a letter written by who? Paul. Th thank you. Uh, to, there you go. Very good. From Paul to Timothy, who's at the church in Ephesus. He is pastoring this church, and um, Paul gives him some instructions. So this is chapter 2, Okay. And I'm going to read this section in its entirety. You can follow along in your Bibles, or it'll be up here on the screens as well. It says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceable and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let me pray. 
God, as we reflect on this verse, I pray that your will be done in this text in our hearts. Um, we know there is probably a million different principles represented in these verses. And speak to each one of us through your Holy Spirit of what you want us to learn and know. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being able to share this. And God, I pray that um, the Holy Spirit is the teacher this morning. And we are the students. So we just thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. I might move down here. If my mic doesn't act up, I might do that. Does that sound good? All right. I got to be able to... I don't want to fall on that thing. I don't want to fall off here. A lot of things happening at once. Um, so first of all, this verse is up here in its entirety. You guys can see on the screens. Um, when we study Scripture, we have to know that this is a letter written. And the proper re- way to read 1 Timothy is to sit down and read all of 1 Timothy in one reading. Because that's what the people did back then, right? We break it up in sections that have themes, but when the letter didn't have chapters or verses when it was written. Does that make sense? Did everybody understand that? So we kind of we cut it off at different sections and themes. So with this, um, we'll look at it next week too, um, and we'll take a break on Christmas Eve. I won't be in 1 Timothy on Christmas Eve. That'll be Christmas uh, story. Um, but verse 8 is kind of a transitional verse to verses 9 through the end of the chapter. But it fits with this one, but it also fits with the, the, the second one that will make more sense next week. So verse 8 is sort of a transitional verse. But as you look at this whole body, when we study Scripture, we should ask ourselves, what's the theme of this particular text? In these um, so many sentences and words, like what is Paul trying to say here? And the theme that I kind of came up with, and I think it's, I feel like this is the theme of it, is again, there's many principles in here, like, G, like God our Savior, God desires all to be saved, etc. But there's a theme. If you look at the theme of this, I believe the theme is um, praying for the lost. Praying for the lost. Or another way to put it, evangelistic prayer. Evangelistic prayer or praying for the lost. So when I say lost, who am I referring to? Okay. Yeah, those that don't know Jesus, whoever said that in that general area. Um, Lostness in West Michigan is going to look a tad different than what lostness looks like in India or Vietnam um, in today's day. Um, Because sometimes lostness in Muskegon looks like somebody who's attended Sunday school their whole life, and they went to church with their parents, and they got baptized, you know, all this stuff. But maybe they've fallen away, and they're not following Jesus. Maybe, like, very seldom we come across people who've never heard of the name of Jesus, right? Um, but, we, but somebody typically in West Michigan has heard. Um, maybe they're atheist. Maybe they walked away. But it's just people who are not following Jesus um, as their Lord and Savior. So that's what we think of lost. And this text talks about it. How did I come up with this? So if you look at this whole verse, um, in verse 1 it says, uh, uh, basically in verse 1, pray for all people. Pray for all people. If you look down at verse 4, it answers the why should we be praying for all people. Um, In verse 4, it says, um, God our Savior, who desires all people to be what? And come to a knowledge um, of the truth. So we pray for all people. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved. How are we to be saved? We look at verses 5 and 6. Through Jesus Christ, the one mediator, is the means by which we are saved. Um, and if you look at verse 8, in the mode at which we are to pray is men everywhere should pray lifting up holy hands 
without anger and quarreling. And so this isn't necessarily talking about when you pray that we all have to lift up our hands. It's mainly saying that when you pray, lift up your hands, make sure that your hands are clean without dissension, without quarreling, without fighting. So he's talking about the character of us when we pray and making sure that our hearts are in the right place when we pray. Okay? Um, and so this whole section is uh, described in a way that we say is polemic in character, which means it's a treatment of a problem. The way that it looks is this is a treatment of a problem. There is something wrong, and Paul is setting it right in these passages. So the implication here if it's polemic, is this, that the church was not doing these things. That the church wasn't doing what he's saying here, so he's writing them to encourage them to do it. So the implication is, is one, the church at Ephesus apparently did not commit itself to praying for all people. Okay? Number two, they were not committed to the truth that God wanted all people to be saved. They weren't committed to that truth or they didn't know that truth. Uh, three, when they did pray, they were lifting up soiled hands, and they were praying out of angry and dissenting hearts. Does that kind of make sense? So he writes this to correct the problem and say, this is how you to pray. Um, so I'm going to jump into verse 1 here. So we're going to unpack this verse by verse. I'll be spending most of my time here um, in verse 1. Um, because of the nature of how deep verse 1 is. So follow along with me if you are. Um, do one of you mind turning up the house lights all the way, if they're not up all the way? All right, thank you. Just in case. I know some people will be falling asleep, and I don't want to be calling them out. I want to make sure they're taking notes. They can see well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so verse 1. Um, verse 1 describes us four ways that we are to pray for lost people. Four ways we're to pray for lost people. Um, in verse 1, he says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So when you read the Bible, does it ever, like, stick out to you? And, and this is, in some translations, you have to catch it. But we could blow through this verse because some translations in verse 1 says, Hey, Timothy, I want you to pray for all people. I think the New Living Translation boils it down a little bit, like, pray for all people. And when you look at the original language, he uses four words for pray for all people. And that's four different types of prayer. So if Becky were to come to me and say, hey, Jim, can you pray for me? She could use one of four different ways, according to this verse. There's a few different other types of prayers, but in here he's talking about four. And those four are, um, you can see them right here, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. And so if you're me, and you're not the smartest, uh, if you're not the sharpest tool in the toolbox, if you will, you're wondering, what is a supplication? What is an intercession? What is a prayer? And what is Thanksgiving? And, and what am I supposed to do? Some of you may be familiar with some of those, and some of you have no idea what a supplication or intercession is. So I would say, Becky, would you, do you need a supplication? Or do you want me to intercede? Or what do you need? You know, and, like, and so he uses four different Greek words. Um, for supplications is, is this word called desis. For intercessions, it's prosui. I'm not very good at, I'm not very good at Greek, but um, for intercessions is entuxius, and thanksgiving is eucharista. Okay? So the first one is called supplications. Supplications. 
And it comes from the verb meaning to lack, meaning to lack, L-A-C-K. Um, to be without something, a general sense of a need. And so supplication has to do with needs, meeting needs. Um, so when we pray, we all know that praying isn't just about um, asking God for our needs. That's a part of prayer. We also have praise and worship in our prayer where we thank God for being a good, good father, right? We have confession of sin. We have um, thanksgiving. And we have um, praying for our needs as well, which is supplications. It's praying for our needs. Um, asking God to meet our specific needs is supplication. Um, evangelistic praying springs from the sense of need. Um, we understand that those without Christ have a deep need that only God can meet. Amen? So the supplications is, is me praying for their needs. Um, praying for their needs. Let me see. Um, turn too many here. They have many needs in Christ. Um, do we understand that the world that does not know the Savior, that has not had forgiveness of sin, is in dire, disastrous straits. That those people that we rub elbows with that have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior are headed to an eternity without God in a place the Bible describes as hell. That's a pretty big need. And that's what I was talking about earlier in the two funerals that I did this week. I just think it's so good that we're confronted this, with this reality that we're going to leave this earth. When we see a person in a casket, I don't feel like that person is in the casket. Their body is in the casket, and their, their soul has gone on. You know, we're, we're laying to rest. The body has a memory. We're laying it to rest. Um, but their body has gone on. And so every, we understand that evangelistic prayer is focusing on their need and what they need, called supplication. Um, and not only that, when we share the gospel with others, it's not just what they need over there. It's what Jesus could do for them here on earth as well. Amen? Like we know as Christians, the only benefit of following Jesus isn't we get to spend eternity in heaven. That's a huge, that's like where we get our hope from. But there's so many good things that springs out of Jesus here and now, right? Like peace in our hearts, strength, understanding. We get the Holy Spirit. Like all these things are lacking in a person who doesn't know Jesus. And so he's saying supplications, like think about people's needs and pray for their needs um, in evangelistic prayer. The second one is prayers. So the first one is supplications, prayers. Um, this, the prayers is definitely the most straightforward one. Um, this word simply means to talk to God. It's the only one of these four that could only, that's only ever used in Scripture. This word is only used in Scripture between you and God. Communication between you and God. There's a sacredness to the word. So if I have a need and, I have, and I'm asking for a supplication, I could be asking my dad or my mom for a gift or some type of meeting a need. With prayers, it's only offering to God. Um, and so there's a sacredness there. So when we go to God in prayer, the end result is always for God's glory. So he's saying pray for needs, pray to God for his glory, um, not just for their needs, but for his glory. So prayer is just speaking with God. 
um, and communion with God. And the third is probably the deepest, and that's intercessions. So before you guys walked into church today, um, some of you maybe had a deep understanding of what intercessory prayer is, what intercessions are, and some of you heard it, but maybe you don't have any idea. And that's why we're here today, to talk about this. Um, it's a very rich word. Um, Intuxius is the Greek word, and it's intercessions, and it means to pray on behalf of someone else. So I'm praying on your behalf. So you have a need, you're praying for that supplication, you're praying for God to meet that need. And when I go into intercessory prayer, simply meaning I'm, 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 now I'm praying for you, I'm praying for your need to be met, not mine, to God. Does that make sense? Praying to God for you. I'm standing in the gap for you. You ever hear that term, standing in the gap? So I'm standing in the gap for our friends in the evangelistic prayer theme of this. I'm standing in the gap for my friends who don't know Jesus. I'm going to God for you. I'm going to God for you. Um, and there's a sense of a deep relationship when it comes to intercession and a deep love. We should be loving the people that we're praying for that are lost. A deep love. Um, the word uh, is, it, it's, there's a great word. The verb means to fall in with a person. To fall in with a person. To identify what they're going through. To identify their needs, their problems, their hurt. That means to fall in. Um, it means to become so closely involved with someone and to draw near to somebody with familiarity <clears throat> and to advocate on their behalf and to pray on their behalf. So other points in Scripture, it talks about, um, there's other points that says we need to be praying on somebody else's behalf for their salvation. But there's also two points where Jesus actually does in, the same word for intercessory prayer or intercession. Jesus intercessions for us, and the Holy Spirit is actually inter interceding for us. Does that make sense? So that, there's two points. I'll, I'll show you those scriptures right here. Um, the first one is in 1 John 2, 1, and they'll be up on the screens for you. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 says, um, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, an intercessor, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So he's saying, Jesus is standing before the Father, interceding on our behalf. And that's pretty cool, right? I mean, this should be the hope that we have. Um, so it's not the idea of a cold, like, lawyer, like, pleading our case before a judge, maybe with a wig or maybe with makeup on and just trying to... It's a, it's a feeling of a dear friend who loves us so deeply, they're going to the Father and pleading our case right? And like it's this, it's this great love attached to it. Um, in Romans 8, 26, it talks about the Holy Spirit um, interceding for us. In, in Romans 8, 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through us through wordless groans. And it's just like words of groaning. And that doesn't mean that maybe he's grunting up there like Tim Allen from Home Improvement, you know, which you may think. But it's this idea that when you are going through, you, a believer in Jesus, are going through a hard time and you don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit feels that 
showing empathy for what you're going through, and he's pleading to God with words that cannot be uttered. And the only way to describe this is groans, meaning that he's in the same pain that you are, he's bringing that pain to the Father and just expressing them to the Father with his great love. Isn't that beautiful? So we have a friend, and not only Jesus, but we have a friend in the Holy Spirit who's going up to the Father and saying, hey, my daughter is going through a hard time. Can you please just give her peace? Can you please bring her reprieve? I know, I felt what she's feeling. I feel what he's feeling. And it's just like it says this wordless groans of a deep love. And the Father listens. And the Father loves us too. Isn't that good? Like the richness of this word of like intercession that we're not, we're not going through life alone. And when I think about interceding for my lost friends and family, I mean, that's what breaks my heart. Like I know that if they don't ever trust in Jesus, they're going to go to a place the Bible calls hell. But I also know that they're going through earth without the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And that's horrible. Like, I need Jesus every second of the day or I can't get through it. You know what I mean? Like, I need Jesus. And the days that I don't fill myself up with his word in prayer, I'm like going through like a battle without my armor on and I feel pierced, broken, and bloodied by the end of the day. And so we need Jesus. And so um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us and, 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 looking, at, and looking after us in that way. Um, they become involved in our struggle. It's advocating, but with uh, empathy. So when we are going to God on somebody's behalf, we um, are asking God, um, God, would you please save this person? We've already done that for ourselves, right? For those of us who are in Christ. But we see our friend who doesn't want Jesus and say, God, would you please save them? And though our words cannot simply save a person, it has to be in their heart, we're asked to pray for the souls of our lost friends and family. And how God uses that, I do not know. I just know that we're asked to pray for them. Would you please pray for them? Um, and, and part of it is, you know, we need to ask with empathy. Um, it's not cold. We need to do it with love and putting ourselves in their shoes. And if we are not feeling what our lost friends are feeling— we should ask God this simple prayer. God, can you break my heart for what breaks your heart? God, can you wreck me for what wrecks you? And watch God put these feelings in your heart of what's going on for them and pray for them in this, what the Bible calls intercession um, with great compassion involvement. You know, I have some, you guys know I talked to you guys about some of my lost friends. Um, Nicole and I, uh, we go to this gym in Spring Lake. Tom thinks I talk about it too much, but I won't talk about it. I'll just say we go to this gym. But we have a lot of friends there who don't know Jesus. Some do know Jesus, but some don't. And, you know, like I have been praying for them um, in many ways. And I remember this summer, um, I went to a conference with our denomination. It's every two years we go to this thing called General Council. This year it was in Spokane, Washington, so we got to go out there and spend a few days with all my other pastor friends in our denomination. And we had a night of worship, and like, I think the pastor, the worship pastor, said something about just pray in, like, what is God asking you to pray for? Like, don't just jump to, like, ask God what he's asking you to pray for. And I remember I just closed my eyes, 
and I'm sorry if you, like, this is maybe new to you, but, like, I just felt like God gave me a vision, because the Bible says he gives us visions. It wasn't like I saw something. It was just a vision in my mind of my lost friends crying. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, man, I was like, I hurt for them, and I couldn't stop crying myself. And I was with Justin Thornton, and we were together in this worship service. And he was crying about something different, and I was crying about something different. And he's like, man, what's going on in your life? Like, do you have something you need to tell me? And I'm like, no. I was like, God just gave me a vision of the brokenness. And all I saw, the only way I could describe it is a mountain of hurt in this person. And that's why this person has a cold, you know, demeanor. That's why this person's like a hard nut to crack, because they're so used to putting on the tough person persona. And I'm like, I saw the hurt. And where some people think this person maybe is a jerk, I just felt like I fell in with them. And I fell in love with their pain and their struggle. And I felt like God's saying, you know what? Before you judge a person, you don't know what they've been through. You don't know that they might have been abused as a kid. They might have been abused and bullied in school. They've, all they've learned is to be hard and tough in this persona. And people think, oh, man, and God gave me this empathy, and all I could do was weep. Um, and so, you know, I wrote it down, and I'm like, you know, it just, you know, it did, I just thanked God for that because I believe I was praying for him to break my heart for those that don't know him. And so I could pray for them and talk to them with a lot more empathy and understanding. And so the second part, uh, the last part is thanksgiving. Um, and this word uh, simply means like part of our evangelistic praying is to thank God for the privilege of reaching lost people. Um, evangelizing and sharing Jesus is something that we could only do here on earth. When we pass on from this earth, we'll never get that opportunity. Does that make sense? Like, so, like, this is our one chance to reach people um, who don't know Jesus. And I feel like we need to be in the highways, the byways, the hedges, the bars, like, places that don't know Jesus and be sharing the love of Christ with people who don't know Jesus because this is really our only time to do it. And so, thanking God for this opportunity and for people who have lost family members, thanking God for giving them time. We don't know when they're going to come, but thank you that they're still alive and they can still choose. Um, and so I need to move on here because I'm getting short on time. But in verse 2, um, I won't spend a ton of time on this. <laughs> I probably could spend a whole day on this one. But it says, like, he goes on to praying for the lost. But he throws in here, it says, Pray for kings and all of those in high positions that we may live peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Um, and so we need to pray for the salvation of those that are above us and be praying for the people that are above us. Um, and so... Um, before people like to act like super political, and maybe if you are here today and you are super political, either on the right or on the left, you know, I want to ask, do you pray for the people above us? Do you pray for our governor, uh, Whitmer? Do you lift her up and, and pray for her? Because that's what the Bible says we need to be doing. We need to be praying for Gretchen um, with, with love and with compassion. We need to be praying for President Biden. Uh, and Kamala Harris, and, you know, and, you know, whoever's next in office, we need to commit to praying for them as well. And when Donald Trump was in office, we, needed, we, we should have been lifting him up in prayer too. 
And so if I said some of those names and you're like, well, I can, I can never do that. That's, I mean, God says we need to pray for kings, rulers, emperors, people above us. Um, and we need to pray for them to be saved. Um, um, and so I just ask you to evaluate for those, those people. And if you can consider yourself political and maybe you have strong thoughts, that's okay to have strong thoughts. And it's okay to vote. That's, that's fine. Um, but if you complain about our leaders... I would challenge you, do you spend equal or more time praying for them than you do complaining about them? And if you don't, you should probably stop complaining about them. Does that make sense? Thank you. Um, verse 3. Um, this is the goal of praying for the lost in verse 3. The goal is this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who what? He desires Who? all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. I believe there's some funky teachings in some churches that God does not desire all people to be saved. And I, this is just one of many verses that God desires all people to be saved. Back then, they were talking about Jews and Gentiles. You know, today it's the elect or not elect or people who are this and that. It's like God's heart is that every single person comes to a saving knowledge of him. Now, will everybody do that? No. Um, but God's heart is that they will. He's a merciful and good God, um, and he desires all to be saved. And then um, verses 5 through 7, I know I'm cruising, but I'm getting the point across, the main point. Um, how all men must be saved is verse 5 through 7. Um, for there is how many gods? There's one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles. Um, when I read this passage, when you guys do too, I kind of had to stop and like study and ask um, this part. It says there's one God. We don't believe, all believe there's one God. He's in three parts. We call it the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in one God. We know that. But there is one mediator between God and mankind, there's one mediator, and it says here, and it uses the term, the man, Jesus Christ. And that kind of threw me from a loop of reading this. I was like, why do they describe his humanity in this regard? Like the man, Jesus Christ. Um, and so in my study, I got this um, part, and I'm quoting, I believe from John MacArthur. It says this, the man, Christ Jesus. This reminds us that Jesus is still human. Even as he is enthroned in heaven right now, his humanity was not merely a temporary phase. When the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, added humanity to his deity, he added it forever, not just 33 years. So when God the Son left his throne in heaven, came down as a baby on Christmas, and was born the Virgin Mary, he put on his humanity and not to just put it away. Like, he stayed a man. Because when he resurrected, what did he do to the apostles? He showed them the scars in his body. And so Jesus' manhood retained. So he's just showing that the man, Jesus, and the other part is, and you go on for days about this, but Jesus was a man. Um, he experienced life like us. Like, when he hit his finger, when he was building something, he was in pain. When he walked and ran, he was out of breath. When he, you know, he experienced everything we did. He was a man, just like you and I. 
and he experienced it. He was fully God, but at the same time, he was fully man. So he identified what we go through. And also in this, this thing, it says how all men must be saved, is there's one mediator in Acts 4.12. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, you know, there's this idea also that there's many different ways that people can go to heaven and many different gods. He's like, no, there's one God and there's one mediator and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? And I just want to encourage us with that. Um, God didn't send his son to die a, on the cross so that there could be another option. Like Jesus is the only option. In Romans 9, 10.9, it also says how we must be saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is it. That's all we must do is cry out with our hearts and, or our mouths and believe in our hearts that, and, we, and we can be saved. And then lastly, he says, be a person of prayer. In our evangelistic praying, he doesn't want us to be practicing sin, but we must be people of prayer. And in verse 8, it says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling, Again, this is sort of a transitional verse that we'll get into next week. Um, but he's saying, don't have a bad character. Live holy lives. When you, if you were praying, lift up your hands. Make sure you're lifting up holy hands, that you are not practicing sin. So as Christians, we're going to fall into sin on a daily basis, but we are not supposed to practice sin. And if we are, we need to repent and ask for forgiveness. Um, and also that we should not have anger in our hearts or quarreling with one another, in so doing, hindering our evangelistic prayers. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's your homework. If you guys are taking notes, write this down or write it in your phones. Um, the worst thing you guys come up and get in your places. Um, do you guys remember a week, couple weeks ago we did the Bless Rhythms? And some of you are still doing them in your missional communities, the Bless Rhythms. Uh, begin with prayer, listen, eat with people, um, serve people, and share the good news of Jesus with people. The bless rhythms are, I want to keep encouraging you to be doing those with your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, eating with them, getting to hear their story. And I want to encourage everybody to have at least three people, like I challenge you to at least have three, maybe more, of people who are not following Jesus that you can pray for on a regular basis that you could stand in the gap for in intercession, like we talked about, um, and pray in supplication and pray for their needs, and just be praying for these, these people, because God is asking us to stand in the gap and pray for people who are lost and don't know Jesus. Okay? Can we do that? All right, let's pray. God, you are good in every way, and I just thank you for saving me. Um, and taking care of all my hurts and burdens and sin and washing it away, um, that I could have new life in Christ. God, help us as a church body um, pray for those who don't know Jesus. Um, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, and that's people not following you. Help us see their hurts and pains. Um, and also help us be out there sharing Jesus with others, sharing our lives with others. So God, uh, we pray that we could put this into practice in our church. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.